Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Marcus. Yahoo! And with us again we have today, Pinku. What's up, kids? So today we're talking about Scylla Mort. Is that how you think you'd say it? Yeah. I really hope so. I, hope, I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to not say anything until they pronounce it. That, and that way I can perfect, latch on to what they say. Yeah, totally perfect white way to white person way to pronounce other white person well, language. I, I could say Cest la Mort <laughs> if I wanted to be an no, ass. No, it's Cest Mort. Okay. I used to speak Oh, French. more, not Mort? More. Well, more. I mean, you if you're speaking like American more, English, yeah. you could say Mort. But like, you you know, like when you're speaking French, it, it's just like implied. Uh, I feel so white more. right now. <laughs> All right, so uh, French people are white. Sailor so, anyway. is by Jala Prendis, and uh, Jala hit me up on the email and let me know that she just put out her first. I guess it's kind of the pre-issue. Yeah, like a, a prologue or an issue zero or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is the issue zero, actually, officially. Does it say and, zero on the cover? Art? It does. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. So. A little bit about Jala and who she is and what she's about. She's a traditionally trained freelance artist whose educational emphasis was painting, specifically acrylic and watercolor. She also has experience in illustration with comics and manga, photography, photo manipulation, as well as a few other miscellaneous art forms, including all kinds of different stuff. Costuming, jewelry making, scrapbooking, sandblasting, furniture designing and building, among others. She's busy. Holy cow. I know, right? It's a lot of stuff to do. That's a ton of um, hobbies. You must be like prolific as hell because I am a lazy fool <laughs> who'd just be like, ah, painting. All right. Yeah. That's so, enough for me. Well, <laughs> well, you know, actually, she, she's like a fitness instructor also. Oh, my God. <laughs> she is cut, too. I went on her DeviantArt page and along with a bunch of her other art, she has a couple shots of her doing like, you know, like belly dance out because I mean, maybe she like made her outfit or something. I'm not sure. But, and but she, she's <laughs> like fucking six pack. Like Holy she is shit, crazy dude. cut. Yeah. Wow. Which is not what you see normally in comic book. Do you even <laughs> lift? Yeah, I do. Actually, That's I'm not so sure funny. when she sleeps, but she's up to so much in life. Damn. Dude. Anyway, so uh, she says here, if I don't know how to do something, I will teach myself how to do it. I believe the only limitations you have are the ones you set for yourself. Presently, she's in the process of teaching herself how to do digital painting. <laughs> I have a job, and I make comics, and I sleep. That's that's my list. That's that's pretty cool that you get to sleep. That's awesome. I'm yeah, sorry, that's a nice thing. That's yeah, nice you thing. know, I, I worked hard to get to that point. So she's, she's always uh, always seeking out new things to learn in order to better herself. And believes that all life experiences enrich the art making process. She seems like pretty cool people. Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> she really does. And we've kind of zapped back and forth on social media a little bit, and she's she's pretty all right. I really like Jalo, so I'm looking. Where forward. is she from? I'm not sure, honestly, because with the the name of the comic and then her name, I was out of the country, maybe. I don't know. I didn't notice anything on her website that had location. Speaking of her website, if you want to follow along with us, you can go to Segway, Segway, Sailamore. <laughs> Selamor comic that's c e s t l a m o r t comic.com this is the link just to go directly to the page uh, on her studio the studio is actually in the main website it redirects to this is neonskiesstudio.com spelled just the way it sounds and Selamor is on there for you along with a couple of the projects and some painting and some information about her along with contact info and all that good stuff which we will give out and have links to in the show notes so what is Selamor when Porter Grahams dodged judgment, he has set a series of events and motions that once began would not cease. Faced with the rolling force of life itself, from the viewpoint of a man recently dead, he comes to realize many things that he overlooked or chose to ignore while still on the mortal coil. Sure, it was fun at first, usually is. Life, death, and everything in between. Welcome to the world of the unliving. 
Take a step into infinity. What will you find? So Jala both wrote and illustrated this. Why don't we go ahead and break it up as we always do. We'll go ahead and start with story. So first, story. What do we think of the story? Well, the story actually for me is, is sort of difficult because what she has online right now, the issue zero is sort of a, a prologue. It doesn't get too far into the story, but it's setting up for me the the circumstances of, of the plot, of, this, of the situation that the main character's in. Yeah, um, we, we've got basically Porter and how he dies and... His decision directly afterwards, speaking with death himself, yeah, and basically what leaves him a shade uh, on on the earth. It, it looks like she's setting up for an opportunity to make commentary on preconceptions and the way we live our lives, and you know, taking advantage of opportunity. And have you ever seen the sh the movie? It's not a Christmas story. It's like a Christmas miracle or something like miracle that. On Thirty Fourth Street. No. Or it, or it's a Wonderful Life. No, it's it's another. Debbie does Dallas. No. <laughs> and I can't remember the story, I can't remember the name of the movie, but essentially this Plankton. woman is like really depressed and not happy. And she's, you know, ends up living through this horrible thing where like her husband dies and this all, all this terrible stuff happens. And it kind of like is sort of like a modern in feeling retelling of It's a Wonderful Life kind of mm -hmm. where like all this like things totally spin out of control and are terrible for her and teach her to appreciate things. And then like whoop, time gets rewound right before all that happens and she's able to stop it and able to be, you know appreciate uh, you know life and everything and so that was kind of my sense from Salamore is that Jala is taking this as an opportunity to you know to kind of point out some things that we overlook or you know I just I found it convicting at times you know I mean it's always fun to sort of write your own mythos for how the way things are yeah um I was watching a a video online that was a an overview of the death of Superman some mm. guy had made a really, really nice mm. video about the death of Superman, and he had, like, I think Elijah Wood was in it. Oh, wow. And wow. they acted out little parts of the comic book. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I need to see that. There's a part of it where Simon Pegg is in this little video, too, and he, he's doing an impression of this guy's father. And he said, you know, my father taught me a lesson when I was young. He said, how many ways are there to kill a vampire? And, you know, you immediately go to the classics. You think of, like, uh, steak of the heart or garlic, sunlight sort of thing. And he's like, and his father told him, as many ways as you can fucking imagine because <laughs> vampires aren't real. <laughs> and I sort of like that. Like when it comes to, you know, making your own story, writing your own world, like any myths you might have in the past, you can just completely throw out the window if you want to. And so like when she's going into what it's like to be dead and mm -hmm. to meet death for the first time, she can completely make up her own universe. And I like the perspective that she took on it because while this guy is dead, the sort of mind frame that he seems to be in is like, well, I died. Yeah, here I am. Here I am. And it's, it's not like the big shocking revelation that everyone thinks that it is someday. It's just sort of like a continuation of life and realizing, oh, God, this happened. Well, you know, it's interesting because the the way that it starts, it's pretty violent, right? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, there's a, the first few pages are really great. And I like how he's like standing next to his body that's just in a pool of his own blood and brains. And he's just calmly, you know, talking about dying and making observations about himself, you know, and he's like, well, I didn't know I had that much gray hair already. And man, I'd gained some weight, too. <laughs> just, yeah. She sees calm observations and he's like, oh, wait, I'm dead. You know, we're all thinking like he should be like, wow, I'm dead. Just ah, standing around out. screaming. And he's just sitting there in his evil dead shirt. <laughs> yeah. Just like, man, is that me? God, I got fat. <laughs> you Which, know, you know like, <laughs> maybe that's how it happens. You know, maybe it's not as traumatic as we all think it is once. Once it comes. I just, I just like Porter's aloof kind of attitude. It was nice. And, and I think that it allows for some funny commentary on what otherwise would be really horrible events. Exactly. You know, it, it works really well 
it's almost like a way to soften the blow of the first few pages being, you know, the main character literally just lying in a pile of his you know guts and brains mm-hmm. and blood, you know, that could, could otherwise be a really dark first couple scenes. And it does manage to be dark, but at the same time with that sort of aloof nature and commentary on it that Porter brings to the, his character, you know, brings to the table, it allows for us to skim past that and not get stuck on it being so violent. You know, exactly. But it allows well, it to be violent. You know, what I what I thought was really cool is that like the way that the first few pages are just are our narrative of him and his thoughts. I've had a hard time connecting with characters that we I've read in comic books in the past. Sure. But I feel like I know who this guy is. Sure. Yeah. Based on how I, think, I really, really feel like, oh, I know this character. They did a really good job mm-hmm. of making me know their protagonist. And like I would be friends with this dude, you know, like <laughs> right. I think that it was really cool how Porter starts to, you know, have these sort of musings right after death calls him to judgment. Or to come for judgment. Thoughts about like how he was expecting to write his life later. Mm-hmm. Not now, but later. Like right now, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be a selfish asshole who's overweight and not taking care of myself and doesn't really care about my family. And I can just be a selfish jerk. But, you know, when I get older, I'll, you know, what does he say? Sainthood in my old age, he says, you know, and it's like, I like how Jala just kind of cuts through all the bullshit a lot of us feed ourselves. <laughs> like that kind of weird thinking that we have and it's 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 convicting in an interesting way you know it's not something that i was expecting when i came into this because you see ghost stories and it's normally a focus on or supernatural stories in general it's a focus on like ooh, it's interesting it's a little creepy it has this vibe to it and it's like this is clearly or at least he's setting it up to be a, a very awesome opportunity to make some sort of profound commentary on life itself mm-hmm. it's pretty cool i like that yeah it's hard to talk about it in general just because it's you know it's all set up for prequel and that sort of thing but i mean that one line where he's talking about like oh i was planning on you know being good and you know the the deathbed fix over you know and like become a good guy later in life like all those people you see and it's like whoops time's up yeah it just kind of calls us out on that sort of thinking yeah well it's kind of like how you know i think how a lot of us see or i definitely myself goes through a regular day where i go oh i'm gonna get all this stuff done and no you're not gonna get any of that done you're gonna get the one thing that was important done Maybe. Yeah, and if that thing was important, that was important is eating chips and wearing your Evil Dead shirt and yeah. know, watching TV, this was going to happen. Exactly. So it's really just like, now you better underplan. Yeah, it's like, who are you and what are you up to and what are you doing that's worth and doing? Be you aware, know? you know, know who you really are. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's kind of convicting, which yeah. is, I think, a good thing. So the prologue ends after he's made the decision. Death gives him the option of, like you said, um, you know, coming out and being judged. Yeah. Or, or you can just stay a shade and just walk the I earth. I like that term, shade. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun to use a different term than a ghost. You a know? ghost, yeah. Just like all the zombie, zombie comic books that call them different things, like walkers and biters and <laughs> whatever. This one, <laughs> right. their, their shade says ghost. Um, and then so he makes his decision. I like it's just kind of like, oh, it's that easy? Well, well I'll just do that then. Well, it sounds easier. <laughs> no problem. I can get back to watching Yeah, and then Death is like... Being a shade is not an easy existence. Ah. Yeah. Uh, so he makes his decision, and then that's just that's just the end of the prequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just bang, done. I like for a, a issue zero, it left me with a really really nice cliffhanger where I was like, oh, well now what? Yeah, definitely. Because like I, I it's just, okay. I like the character. I like how he thinks, and I'm like, I want to see what this character would do as mm-hmm. a shade. I'm curious how she's going to tackle the mechanics of that world, the truths of that world, that she's developing something that is reminiscent of a few different things that we've seen before, but it doesn't seem like it's easily going to fall in line with like, it's kind of like that movie ghost, or it's kind of like this, or it's kind of like that. It's like, it has a different feel to it where you immediately get confronted by no kind of deity, just death itself. Are you going to be judged or not? If you choose not to be judged, then you're a shade. What does that really mean? Are there other shades? Is it just you? Maybe there's other shades, but you can't interact with them. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's happening? And so it's interesting, 
Like it left me kind of be like, well, what kind of world is she going to paint with this? And what are the, what are the truths of this world? How is that going to work? So, and I liked how right out of the gate, she's like, no, there's other shades. You know, like the first page, he meets another guy yeah. who's a shade. And he's like, oh, newly dead, huh? He's <laughs> just like, let me show you the ropes. I mean, it makes sense, too, when he says, that, you know, who are you calling a kid? You're a kid to the other to the other ghost. But, you it's know, like that other ghost could be hundreds could of be years old. Year yeah, old. you never know. And he just his attitude is like, oh, God, really? You're stupid? Yeah, you're that damn. dumb. It's like, dude, nothing is what it seems here. <laughs> he's like, I thought I was going to get someone smart, but damn, <laughs> another dumb person. I also, I also like that... Uh, when he's talking about death, she doesn't ignore the, me- the mechanics of things, mm. like the fact that a skull has no tongue in order to oh, make certain, right? in order to and make death's certain talking sounds to him. Uh, that you know it, it's required to have a conversation. And so he's even like, "How are you even talking? Like, what is going on?" <laughs> like, that's what's going through. His d- death's like, "You must be judged. Durs, come follow me." And he's like, he's not thinking like, "Oh God, I'm dead." He's thinking like, "How are you talking right now?" It doesn't now? make any sense. <laughs> I think, okay, so I want to comment mostly on um, the first issue zero that she put up. I mm-hmm. think as an issue zero, it is extremely successful because yep. it did the objective that an issue zero should do, which means it got me hooked and it made me want to read the issue one. Right. It made me want to jump into the world, see where she's going with this, follow this particular character. Because like, if she was like, there was a person, he was alive and then he was dead and death was there and death said you can have... You have a choice. You can be a shade or you can be judged. And then the person said, I will be a shade. I could really give a shit. But well, and it, it's also nice that being that it's an issue zero, you could, in theory, just jump right into issue one and could that whole first issue, all of the events leading up to him choosing to stay, could be summed up in a page of dialogue. Yeah. Even a page of sparse dialogue with a couple, you know, little key images and stuff. Some successful layout and imagery and, you know, a little bit of dialogue and, you know, kind of recapping could be done in a page or two to do what she did in 16 pages. And so it's nice that you don't feel like you need it, but it's I'm so glad it's there. Yeah. You know, like, and it's good. I like that when someone does a, a prologue like this that sets you up and, and eases you into that first issue instead of just dumping it. Because a lot of comics will be like. It all started the day I died, and then like this whole first, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that she took the time to, to do this, to yeah. really give the respect to that kind of powerful event, even though not a lot of things happened in those pages well, on paper, you know. I, but a lot of, I don't know, it was interesting. Well, I tend to think that if she's going to devote this much to his backstory, then we're going to be needing. I, I'm going to assume that we're going to be needing his backstory. But there I wasn't even yeah. much backstory there. Well, really. no, there was, I was not a good, well, we know that he was not a good father to his family yeah. and he's kind of, we know more about his personality and the circumstances of his death. It's true. I know there's a lot of apples and oranges in the foregrounds and I know it could have been a, it could have been, you know, just part of something to, to sort of show what was happening at the time of his death. But to me, it, what it's communicating is the fact that she's putting this much emphasis on all of these things that I'm going to expect that they're going to be important later. Whereas in other comics, I could see the argument for just jumping in because it's not important. What is, what's important is, oh, well, I'm dead. Okay, well, that's about it. Well, so, I think a lot of the time the beginning yeah. of a story isn't super compelling and they jump ahead. Like, think, take Star Wars. Star Wars yeah. started at episode four. And, yeah. you know, it's like they're like, the beginning is important to make the world work. Yeah. But it's not the compelling part. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people think like, oh, I, you know, like I know that when I'm thinking of an idea, it's not always the beginning that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a scene or a piece or a section of the story that's typically later on, maybe a crescendo, maybe a turning point, you know, or whatever. And then I have to kind of fill in the blanks. And yeah. a lot of the time, what you got to fill in is the freaking beginning, <laughs> you know? And and so it's, uh, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. So I, you know, I just, that's, you know, my expectation coming into this. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, I'm paying attention to these details because it's sort of interesting. Like, 
apples, oranges. What were you doing, dude? He was like, what, he was why shopping, your wife grocery shopping with his family? Yeah, and then, well, why does your wife look kind of happy? And you know, just like, <laughs> like he's dead. Yay, we're like, free. <laughs> like, oh, really? I mean, yeah. So he's not a really good husband. Then what? And you know, he's talking about you know making up for it later in sainthood. Okay, well, that's going to be cool. What's I, that all I, about? I get the feeling yeah. that it's really important for us more than just the events surrounding his death, but also the kind of guy he was. Because there's a lot of characterization that happens here, a lot yeah. of internal monologue. Because really. He dies. Death's like, yes or no? He's like, no. And then that's it. That's all yeah. that happens like timeline wise here. But the, a lot of the time is spent, a lot of the pages are spent with him thinking about things, reflecting on things, talking about stuff. So it, like, it really develops his character a lot. Really well. Yeah. Really, so really you well. get a sense of really who he is. And I think that that is going to be really important moving forward. Yeah. So it's going to be an emphasis on character development. It is a really rich starting point. Absolutely. So. And so, like, I don't. I mean, I would yeah. never suggest because as a comic creator, I tell you, one of the things that I hate the most is when someone's like, "Okay, here's the idea. Here's what you should do with the story." That drives me up the wall because then even mm -hmm. if it's a, even if it's an amazing idea. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It's mine. <laughs> oh. uh, but because I like this character that, that uh, she's created, I kind of hope that we can get like a lost, like the TV show lost style mm -hmm. narrative where we see what it's like for him going forward as a shade. But at the same time, we go back get, and like, do some flashbacks, flashbacks about what it was like when he was still alive. Yeah, it's interesting. That would be cool. It, it, there's a lot of different directions she could go in it. And it more than anything leaves me really curious where she's headed. Because it's it's a it's an awesome opportunity. It's a mm -hmm. good story. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a quick musical break? When we get back, we're going to talk about the art of Silamore by Jala Prendis. You're listening to Geek Live. Stick with us. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Geek Life. We're talking about Sailor Moore, indie comic that uh, so far I think we all pretty much like where that she went with the, her issue zero, the prequel issue, leading into that, uh, the meat of the story. So going on, we're talking about the art now. Uh, what did you guys think about the style? Well, I would say right away what struck me was the color choices. Because yeah. it's black, white, and then red, like really red, like bold, vibrant red. And I found... At first, I was kind of like, what? But then I found myself thinking like that it was really sort of striking, you know, because it's I, I'm definitely a fan of black and white comics. I feel like it's cleaner and easier to read and it doesn't get, you know what I mean? Like I just it, it's no, breathy, you yeah. know. And so so I was kind of like, oh, cool, black and white. And then there's a black, white and red. But the red doesn't take away from it being, you know, kind of clean and stark imagery. You know, it's just, it's a striking and the use of it, I think, by and large, is really successful. At first, I was kind of thinking it was an odd choice to have the eyes on everybody be red. But after a while, it's just, just like, okay, fine. That's how it works. And it, and it works. It works really well. And it you know helps add some emphasis to things. But there's just there's just this amazing use of red. Because normally when you see black, white, and then some some highlights or some accents or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, the color itself in a black and white comic. If there's any, you know, if they're going to do like a, a third color or something, yeah. it's typically very understated. And here it's very boldly used all over the place. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting too. I'm not noticing red eyes on anybody who's in the living world. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I'm wondering. So it could be a shade it, thing. Yeah, so possibly, which would make total sense to have it red. And honestly, woman after my own heart. That's one of my favorite modes of storytelling in comics because one of yeah, just I've seen you do it. Yeah, exactly. It works my, great. My, I love it. It's it's effective. And honestly, people tend to think that just because a comic's not in full color that it's not finished or it's not enough. And it's really just a testament to the fact that, you know, simple is completely effective. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that this comic is visually simple because there's a lot of just, there's this really sense of the fact that she's got uh, inclinations towards making things that are really decorative and ornamental. And there's a lot of movement, even though it's a lot of, you know, we have a lot of compositions where they're It has a sort of like, it's like sort of, yeah, you're right. Movement is something that's very well described here. And I think that it was interesting because a lot of the time in comics, you've got, you know, you've got characters and then detailed backgrounds um, or characters on like a white background if it's just like a dialogue scene. But, you know, there's how someone handles their backgrounds. I guess let me start my thought over. How someone handles their backgrounds um, really sets the tone for the comic in a big way. And what she's done is not as much emphasis on like the physical world and the actual buildings and cars and people and surroundings and foliage or whatever would happen to be behind the characters, there's this sort of liquid, tendrily darkness and shadow and color that's sort of swirling around and, yeah. you know, and then takes use of some of the distinctly manga-influenced lines, mm-hmm. you know, with like, this, like, the, like the little... What do you call it? I can't remember what the name is, but what like hatch lines, like hatch lines, yeah. but like done in like the little grid pattern, and you know, kind of like you were doodling earlier. Oh right, yeah, you just know? Ha- hatch marks in general. Yeah, exactly, um, and creating kind of like patterns, I guess. Right. Because you know, Japanese comics have a lot of use of patterns, and so yeah. it's it's so it's like there's a lot of of really interesting ways that she fills in the backgrounds and makes them interesting when there otherwise would have been a lot of blank space surrounding the characters. Well, it's interesting what that does for me in general, because if you look at her compositions, for example, there's a lot of stuff that's centered, just yeah. like, you know, yeah. like death, the one page with death, you know, he, he centered, shots of the main character's eyes center, even down to the murder scene, we see the welcome mat straight on 
centered. And usually what, what happens when something is centered is it's stable and it's even, you know, it's not off put at all. But, but at the same time, she's juxtaposing that with these sort of decorative marks that are moving around, like the swirls, like the red and a lot of the ornament. So what it does is almost like, it's almost like the worlds are already separated. You have the stable, regular world of the living. It's like you're looking through yeah. like this like squiggly portal. But you know, almost like like through like a hazy yeah, exactly. sort of you know what I mean? It feels it feels like he's occupying this separate world it's, and that he can still see through into into the the mortal world, but it's like a little bit funny. It's a little yeah. hazy. And there's almost like a like you said, this sort of decorative ornamental it reminds me mm -hmm. of uh it reminds me kind of of that movie we were just talking about, they mm -hmm. at the end, one of the characters ends up one of the multiple endings of the in the DVD, the character ends up getting kind of pulled through this portal thing. And when she's on the other side, it's clear in the middle. But then around the edges, it's sort of warped and twisted and weird, you know, and it has that sort of a look to it. Like you're looking through a portal into the into the human world where you do see the normal comic book background stuff. But it's surrounded yeah. by all this sort of hazy, you know, heat vision sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's really great just because it adds a, just a certain dimension to yep. it where you think, other, you know, because otherwise, if you say those things, you know, if you just describe that on its own without the decorative elements, you're just kind of like, OK, that's kind of boring. Mm -hmm. But when you it sets a add mood it together. very yeah. successfully i would say i think some of my own commentaries on, on particularly like the background art filling in negative space um come out of my own insecurities because i'm i'm very insecure about uh making sure that i have i don't think my backgrounds are what they should be yet mm. um i don't feel like I, I have enough detail and so when i see negative space it makes you think, oh, well, that's kind of like my artwork and then i think automatically that's not where it's supposed it should be sure yeah in hers it's a lot of the reds and the blacks with the, the little kind of venomy twisty designs going out. And while I might normally object to that, because it's this situation, right. um, it fits. It makes sense Definitely. that this is the environment that they're in because he's in this different world where he's dead and he's looking at his own body. Otherwise, I, I definitely would object to that being the only background. And I think it looks different once the actual story starts in issue one. No, there's no. there's there's almost this framing around it with those like black and red tendrils on the first few pages. There's still a heavy use of that sort of hazy, you know, kind of mood setting. I mean, really, it really is like an outline around things. You know, it is like yeah. a, like a vignette sort of framing. I found myself thinking that it was really cool in the this this tendrily sort of look in the prologue, especially because it seemed specifically focused in and around the area of death himself. Mm -hmm. And that worked really well for me. But now that I'm seeing it's becoming kind of a style that is separate from him, I'm hoping that it doesn't get used too much because I think that it could be get, get a little bit like, okay, which is this just, just a frame. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I would like for it to mean something uh -huh. instead of it to just be the way every page looks around the edges, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to see where she goes with that, but it's, it's starting to get kind of like almost overused and it's not that it's a bad looking device or ornament as you were saying Pinku. i just think that you know overuse of anything is bad no i right? agree i agree with so that i would too. like i would like i like it and i think it's very neat and unique and it definitely it makes it stand out there's not a lot of comics you see out there that have that look to them mm. but i would hope that it doesn't become a well this is how every page looks it's surrounded with tenderly lines it's like ah, i don't really want that you know yeah yeah it has meaning in the prologue definitely yeah 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 so i i agree with you i think it should retain that meaning the only other thing that sort of catches my attention in terms of, um, well, I mean, the artwork, let's say in the beginning, the artwork looks good. 
uh, I don't want to say the only other thing. The only other thing that <laughs> the I only noticed, thing I like, <laughs> but the only other thing that I, I have any sort of objection to, and this could be just a personal style preference, is um, it's very hatchy, lots of hatching, and I sort of. So, what do you mean like, by hatching? Uh, cross hatching, the, okay. the method uh, yes. of showing shadows and shading, <laughs> as opposed to um, you know, dark, bold um, blacks, because most of the blacks are used in the background, you know, as those sort of been in the outlines that we we're just talking about. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of solid blacks weighing down the pages besides the the outside yeah frames. you know i that was something i have in my notes here is, is that the work is very detailed and by detail i don't mean meticulous like frank darrow kind of detail if you're thinking if you're curious who i mean by that look up the shaolin cowboy that's a really good example of incredibly fine cleanly detailed mm -hmm. this one has a sort of a sketchy quality to it uh you know the inks the inks kind of kind of dance on that knife's edge of being messy or mm -hmm. busy um, and that's not to say that it's not clear. You know, she does a good job of depicting what's there and making it clear what it is. Um, it just has a sketchy kind of quality, a sketch, yeah. not sketchy as in pad, but sketch like, sketch like a sketch. Like, exactly. It yeah. reminds me a lot of a, a while ago, I purchased a sketchbook and a ballpoint pen and was like, the only thing that's going to touch the sketchbook is the ballpoint pen. Because I was trying to teach myself to stop being a little scaredy cat bitch <laughs> and wanting to erase and be meticulous about everything and just draw. And be like the lines down. It can't come back. Just yeah. draw. Just keep going. You know. It's no, like, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, it is um, because I, I find myself yeah. I get really uptight and anal when I have. I mean, like I'm I'm the kind of guy that has like one pencil and like thirty freaking erasers. Oh my gosh. Like I have I, I have I have like a fine eraser. I've got the gum eraser. Yeah. I've got the plastic eraser. I've I mean like I'm the All eraser. Types. I like to to have a really a lot of control over things. And yeah. one of the tools I use to shape line is erasers. Anyway, so I find that. Anyway, that's, about, that's not about the comic. It's about me. But so moving on, it reminded me of that sketchbook is that it looks like kind of a ballpoint pen, sketchy sort of quality to it. Like she's making sketches in ballpoint pen. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what it feels like. Obviously, it's a whole lot cleaner than an actual sketch. It's definitely, yeah. you know, heading closer to a finished product, but it definitely has kind of like a ballpoint patch a ballpoint pen kind of attitude and then the lines are built up with lots of smaller lines yeah you Is know that's your combination of pen and patch. sketch pen. <laughs> was that what it was like, yes that's what happened that's 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 awesome we should just use that patch it's legit it's like oh no this comic's got patch all over it no um, <laughs> no no let's not do that um no I, I actually see what you mean and i know what she's trying to do too because she's using she's sort of just using like these um these methods of mark making to try and communicate value, which is good. That's a good thing. We like, you know, we like value, you know, it gives a gray or something that communicates gray gives the eye a place to rest when it's just dark black and white, not always necessary, but sometimes it does. And I also think that um, when I'm feeling insecure, I'll do it too, or I'll fill in, try to fill in like a bunch of lines or a texture, not always, but you know, yeah, uh, no. there are times when I'm like, Oh crap, this doesn't look great. I should put in, some other values and sort of compensate for other things I haven't done and put that in. And it works and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. So I think that's really just going to come with experience because some of these marks, like just by telling, I kind of think they're, they're a little unsure in some of the it lines. Seems like she's, it's, it, yeah. It seems like she's like experimenting. The page you're talking about with like the, there's, there's red swirlies and there's also red hatching on top of it to fill in the spaces. I don't know that that was the exact mark you wanted to pick. And I don't want to tell you what mark to pick because that I don't draw your, you know, I don't draw your artwork, but I think maybe something else in between because it's got a lot of hatch marks on top of the red edges of the of the ornament that we've been talking about, the swirlies and that sort of thing. I think maybe something else, maybe something a little lighter, 
because we're not there's a little less delineation yeah. between the the major forms and then just like the sort you, you of get it, you get the sense that she's experimenting yeah it's kind of just you like do. i almost feel like uh it that to me like translates this question mark question mark question mark what do i do here right and that's totally cool and but, i i think yeah. that like you were saying kind of piggybacking on that it does feel like there's a bit of a tendency to sort of over describe things yeah uh especially with hair and facial hair you know it's it's clear what she's describing it's clear what she's depicting mm-hmm but it probably could be accomplished a more economically yeah. with a little bit less lines. Not that I want her to change her style to just be a single no. line or anything, but even within the if within the framework with which she set the style that she's demonstrating here, it could probably be accomplished a lot of the imagery with a little bit more efficiency as far as how many lines are used to describe something. It's like almost like a build up. Like you see people drawing every less, strand. Yeah, I was going to say that drawing less what they see and more what they know is there. And they're like, hair is made up of a bunch of little strands. I'm going to draw all of them. Blah! And then it becomes this crazy thing. And what's interesting, though, is that even though there's what, again, this is a style choice here, right? But what I would describe as heading in the direction of being a little bit too much lines, kind of over-describing things. What I'm impressed with is that it doesn't flatten the images out, which is typically the problem, in my yeah. experience, with that. When someone gets into drawing all these lines to describe something that is as complex and, and, and but still has to have that sort of dome kind of shape with like mm-hmm. a forehead, a head, you know, hair and all that. It has to have volume to it. And a good way to, to, to get volume is to, not, is to kind of suggest it instead of draw all the details. Because the more details you draw, the more excellent you have to be. At your <laughs> at describing this, because if you draw too many details, it can start to flatten it out. Yeah. Right? Well, pretty much that's what happens is people draw a texture in and you forget that light's going to fall on that texture. And OK, that's cool if you want it to look flat deliberately. But the problem with the problem with that is people will know if you want if you want it to look flat de- deliberately. So if you're not doing that and then you feel in like drawing every strand on a person's head, all of a sudden, where's the light coming from and why did you do that? You know, right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I do think that that that's something that she might want to look into is to be more economic with her lines and and do take into consideration light source a little bit more yeah. heavily instead of just adding shadow in on an already complex figure you know for me i like to draw as little of the nose as possible <laughs> personally yeah you know i find that that softens especially in feminine characters i find that it softens the face a lot and everything like that if you draw all the detail of the nose somehow it's just like obtrusive a, a and of kind of ugly that. you know yeah. and it's it's not you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad or whatever, but that's what I've found. And I found that typically less is more. Yeah. You know? Well, I think a lot of um, what happens in more advanced drawing is you have to learn how to not draw something right. because there's a, there's the right way of excluding something and the wrong way of excluding something. And sometimes and in my experience, it's almost just harder to learn what not to draw. Yeah. The, the, but think about think about it this way. What is it that we find is some of the most artistic and beautiful stuff. It's stuff that has a limited focus range, Mm -hmm. right? So you look at film, very rarely is it a perfectly clear and detailed, sharp image of everything. Because it's not the way the human eye works. If I'm standing right next to Pinku and talking to her like communication distance, the background is not detailed. It's just not. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. That's not the way the human eye catches things. You know, I'm looking at Marcus right now and like the microphone and the pop filter in front of me, I can't see it clearly. It's just blurry. He's looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Love those dimples. (laughs) Should I leave you two alone? No, you're between us. Ah, oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> that just got a... weird. This, uh... this is about to be a very different podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to go. You guys can. No. No, but something I noticed is that instead of, which is more common, you see simplistically drawn characters, more iconic kind of cartoony characters on way hyper detailed backgrounds. A good example would be like 
phone. Jeff Smith. Yeah, there's lots of examples. <laughs> I was going to say Tintin. Oh, there you go. Tintin yeah, yeah. is incredibly we simplified. We went to the same place, though. Yeah, we're on, we, we're we, on par. Uh -oh. We're connected here. You're going to be left out. Get out of the room. Are we staring at the same thing? No, I'm not even... I don't even know. I don't, I, I don't see any Jeff <laughs> Smith. That's it, just... We're just connected. Just like, yeah. Don't worry. There you go. <laughs> so what I was saying is that it feels like instead of characters that are more simplified and iconic being on a detailed background, almost realistic background... It's much more detailed characters on much more simplified, abstract backgrounds. Yeah. Which is sort of a flip. At first, I was kind of like, that's not going to work, but it actually does work pretty well. It's nice when there's a... Because what you're doing, no matter what, what you're doing there by having a different level of detail, background to characters, is to make the characters pop. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... You know, I personally like more simplified characters, but it still works really well with these sort of yeah. decorative, abstract backgrounds with these really detailed characters on the front of it. Every, it still is a very clear delineation and it makes it clear who the centerpiece is. Yeah. I mean, that being said, there's still a sort of guideline you want to follow, though, with mm. backgrounds. Because, uh, yeah, you want if you're going to go that route and have a completely detailed background with a, a more simplified characters in the foreground. You know, the example that we were using, Jeff mm -hmm. Smith, he has really, really gorgeous forest scenery backgrounds where Phone Bone's walking around in front. And Phone Bone's just black and white. He's mm -hmm. just a simple guy with Phone Bone. He doesn't wear the T-shirt. His brother does, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's Okay. Right. Doesn't even wear a T-shirt, just has a little sack around him. It's simple, simple drawn character. But like as much as the backgrounds look completely detailed and you feel like you're in that world, he doesn't draw every leaf on every bush. No, no, he no, draws no. it in a way that makes you think. But it's rendered a, in a more yeah. realistic style. Exactly. Yeah. You know? But also, I mean, when you're making a comic in general, you're pretty much just it's the exercise of directing a viewer's attention to certain things. So you have to be you have to be sure what you want them to look at and what you don't really want them to look at. Right. One thing I did want to mention that you can tell that there is a, a Japanese comics influence in her in her character design, especially with the wife. Ooh, yeah. With like the crazy, Big super huge eyes, <laughs> you know, and I um, it's something that I've noticed. You can tell when someone is interested and influenced by Japanese comics, but isn't drawing in a Japanese comic style. It's like there's the, you know, when, when you objectively, when you look at a Japanese comic book, the first couple of first things that pop out, right? Big eyes, right? Most of the yeah. time, that's one of the biggest key defining things. The thing of it is, is that the big eyes in Japanese comics, for the most part, don't look like they don't fit on the character. They work somehow, mm -hmm. you know, whereas some of the sometimes when someone goes, oh, I'm going to draw in the Japanese style. I'm just going to make my eyes bigger. It's kind of like, whoa, that doesn't work. Those are like creepy doll eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it made me think of here is that the, the eyes seem sort of enlarged, but it doesn't somehow work with the rest of the body. You know, it's like if you're going to go really detailed like this and then describe all the eyelashes and like, you know, all that, you know, the detail, the iris and everything, it kind of it's, it gets creepy when eyes are too big. Well, well, I think a lot of it, too, is the fact that if you look at like anime and stuff like the eyes are just as simply shaped as the rest of the body, mm -hmm. like the whole body is turned into an icon. Yeah. Essentially, I mean, we're, we all do that to different levels when we're drawing a body in general, when there's a discrepancy between one feature and another feature whereas she there's a higher amount of detail in like say the nose for example mm. on, on that wife's face it's rendered what would be called typically more realistically yeah and when you're heading in a more realistic direction you need to follow more realistic proportions like you would if you were doing a portrait and when you're rendering things more realistically but you enlarge the eyes like a style choice it just looks weird yeah, to me. Well, um, like, it doesn't work. Like, if you look at uh, one of the, I guess, one of the older children, it's pretty much below the wife. There's a there's mm. a child there, too. The eye shapes there are typically shapes that I would see in, like, any kind of manga or, sure. or something like that. But the problem is they're a little too flat for the body that they're inhabiting. Yeah. 
And so it looks kind of just like it almost looks like somebody painted on eyes on. Like if you painted on mega eyes, eyes on, on the, my face, that's right. that's sort of what it reminds me of. <laughs> or like I'm the just, big eyes, like people draw like on the on their eyelids and they close it, and it's like Ugh. yeah, that, that's pretty much what it reminds me of. So you know, a little work on that a little bit in terms of making the entire style consistent. I mean, it just seems like she's heading in a more realistic rendering direction, yeah. and so I think that it would be good to lean into that. Either more. dial it down or dial it up. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Don't stand on the. Fe- I mean, don't sit on the fence. You yeah. know, like. A lot of the time, people try and have their you know, kind of one foot over here, one foot over here. And a lot of the time, that just doesn't work very well. You know, it's good to make a choice and yeah. just head in that direction. Did you guys see Disney's Tangled? Uh, I don't just because I categorically don't watch Disney. But I've seen, you <laughs> I've know, seen screenshots shots of it. I've yeah. seen yeah. images of Rapunzel from, mm-hmm. from yes. the movie. Tell Same me what you base. think. I feel like her eyes are bigger than any of the other Disney princesses. I think so too. I, I feel like yeah, she has this kind yeah. of yeah, distractingly so. Oh, um, I don't think I've watched it enough to be distracted by it, but I see what you mean. Gotta, they, they are pretty huge. <laughs> I got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I've watched it. That's enough true. For um, everybody in the room. I don't know. Compared to the Little Mermaid, and tell me what you think, because I sort of remember Ariel having big-ass eyes in the actual movie, not in the merchandising and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I could yeah. be wrong. It's been so long, you know. And you know, maybe it might just point to stand out in the merchandising because you when, be. when you have the merchandising, you have all the princesses lined up together. Oh, sure, yeah. Sure. And they're and homogenized, like stylistically. Like they're totally like like Snow White, like the old school Snow White in that old school movie is freaking badass. Like those cool angles versus like the actual princess merch where she's kind of rounded like everyone else. I'm kind of. Well, I mean, that. remember there was a big hoopla when they did the chick from Brave and the Brave. Yeah. They made and her they more switched feminine. her and made her yeah. more like well, soft and classically, you know, princess like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody was like, no, because it's sort of not at all who her character yeah. was. Her character's like, connection with people was that she was sort of a tomboy and she wasn't about being beautiful. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know, like, but I, I know it depends. Like, I, I'm, not, a... I'm not, I'm uh, not willing to get on either side of that because yeah. I'm not a woman and I'm I just not, don't want to get into it. Oh, I'm not invested, but really it's just like when different people draw stuff, it looks kind of different, even when you're drawing to a corporate standard. But also, there's a corporate standard. Standard and you got merchandise line. Of course, she's got to match the others to yeah. go with the set. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's so many but other but, things but in there. I just, I guess, I'm saying I know what you mean. Where yeah. things kind of get pulled in alignment. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So uh, one <laughs> of the things that I was going to say I really, really liked is the choice to have the square dialogue boxes with a lot of space inside, not necessarily squeezing the box tight around the words, because the the comic is so detailed and you know kind of pushing into the almost busy direction layout wise and character wise. Like I found that incredibly relieving. To have these sort of open, clean spaces and the words weren't cramped in there and packed tight. Just there's something about that that really balanced it out for me. It was like a little bastion of open spaces with orderly lines for those of us like myself (laughs) who thrive on sort of unoppressive layout. This is not to say that I felt like the layout was oppressive. It's sort of just the opposite of that. Like the reason why I want to point this out in particular is that it managed to balance out what could be almost too much information you know, yeah. for a comic, you know, too much information. It was just like, oh, where am I supposed to look? And everything, it's so, ah, you know, and like as beautiful as it is, it all, you know, it's sort of like you got to visually direct me where I'm supposed to go. One, two, three, you know, comic pages, as much time as we spend on them as artists, you got to realize somebody's going to look at that for maybe a second or two. And mm-hmm. then they're on and moving on to the next thing. And so I found it like really relieving to have that little open space in the comic that is otherwise very, very like graphically dense. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's really well It has well a balancing effect. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because somehow the comic comes out not feeling too busy or oppressive in layout. Yeah. And I think that was a really good choice to do the, that. This is sort of the one thing that I like about independent comics compared to, say, superhero comics is, yeah, there's a there's a specific science to, to the way things are lettered in superhero comics, but I really hate the way it looks. Truly, <laughs> yeah. truly. Because it's just like this typeface that doesn't go with anything 
and it's only there because it, people used <laughs> because to hand it's been letter. There forever. Yeah, people used to hand letter, but you know, at the same time, it's not. It's hard this to think. This looks like of it was any... hand letter too, don't you think? Yeah, I think. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. But um, and yeah. it was quite successfully hand lettered. Yeah, I say. and it's just like you have this crap just crammed onto the page out of tradition, as opposed to how it how it should, you know it yeah. actually looking particularly good. And I know they got to cram all that. It's like. They got a criminal. I mean, it's got a fit convention, comics. you know. Yeah. It, that, but that's what's one of the like, just like you said, it's one of the reasons why independent comics are so great, and that's one of the reasons why I've really found myself becoming endeared to this comic is that it does have sort of an experimental quality. Yeah. And I like that. I like that in an artist and and a writer who's like, I'm gonna do something and try it. And, you know, it's that why not attitude that we're really big fans of here mm-hmm. at Geek Life. Well, it's always props to somebody who's gonna put a little care into all aspects of the comic, especially the lettering. Just you know, especially just because of me and my background and being sensitive to lettering and, or to that kind of stuff in yeah. general. Yeah, I think it's you just... just put into words, John, why I like this comic. Because I mean, to me, that sort of attitude is also embodied by the character too. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, mm-hmm. here goes nothing. You know, yep. I'm dead now. Let's see what happens. <laughs> So, I mean, thank you. <laughs> I, I also noticed that there was a couple Easter eggs in there, like the Evil Dead shirt that's never actually all the way shown. It's kind of almost shown. And then, um, actually, before I move into that, on the, I want to say the first page of the comic or, or something like that, within the first few pages, or maybe, I want to say maybe before the first page, there is a white on black drawing, which I think looks really neat. <laughs> like, I like that style. I can remember Joe had an artist that was working with him that was looking to do a noir comic for him that was going to be white on black mm-hmm. and was going to actually do it with scratchboard. Oh, like the whole comic board is expensive. and That's rough. Yeah, I know. And do it her, her tests were incredible, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, seriously, sure. her tests were amazing. It looked really, really cool. Uh, and it had that sort of angular scratchboard look because mm-hmm. it's hard to get a smooth curved line with scratchboard. It's almost always like you dig in, you start and it's like, you know. Yeah. And so it had this sort of. Sort of like, I don't know, it was sort of sketchy. I don't know how to describe it. It was just really interesting. I don't know if I really liked it a lot, but I definitely felt like it was a cool look and it would, and it really landed with some self well tone. Yeah. And uh, anyway, but, but other than that, I just, I really thought that it was neat to do the white on black and it didn't look like she just did it black and then solarized it. It looked like she really had a, you know, like painted black on something and then went in with white. Oh yeah. Which was really cool. But on that same page, a little getting back to the Easter egg. The bowl he's eating out of actually has a little image of a character that I think is from another comic on there is on the site called Kobolds. Oh, cool. And it's an image of the little Kobold character. <laughs> and I love that. Like we always put – I was illustrating Dinner and Dragons and Artistic Monk. And I would often put specifically on Dinner and Dragons because it's like modern times. And so I could have like T-shirts and bowls and stickers. And I think at one point I put – Two little artistic monk and Dave, which is like a little old school monk, Friar Tuck kind of guy with with his giant talking pencil. And I put them as magnets on the refrigerator behind the characters. And it's just like you'd never know it was there unless you were really looking and you'd just be like, oh, whatever. It's stuff on the refrigerator, you know. <laughs> but it's just kind of I love that kind of thing. And so I just love that the properties are crossing over and these little Easter eggs in there that you wouldn't really notice unless you're really paying attention. Like I get a kick out of that kind of thing. Yeah. It's um, I forgot. There's some there's like Shonen Jump comics, too, where like I want to say One Piece. It's like kind of cross brand. Yeah, stuff. yeah. It had yeah. other stuff in the back of it, you know, mm-hmm. wanted posters and that sort of thing of other characters from other comics. It's pretty cool. Love that stuff. Now, can we just take a minute and just be in awe of how rad that page that has death on it that in the face, like, like oh, yeah. right in the front, how incredibly sick that page is. Like that needs to be like on the side of a black motorcycle. You or know, something. people will like, buy that as a print. It too. is un yeah That's yeah. Print, that yo. needs to be a big fat print because it is sick. It is really freaking mm-hmm. cool. Because like going through the first couple of pages, it's kind of like this is pretty cool. Damn, 
dumb. Like that yeah. was <laughs> that like when I came to that, it was like, wow, that is really visually striking. Well, it's enough to give pause. We're like, oh, mm-hmm. we're talking to death now. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it was very in your face. <laughs> yeah. It very gave you very much gave you the sense of what was actually happening where death is leaning in and like probably just a few inches away from Porter's face. And it's just like. You must be judged. It's like, ah! It was like kind of terrifying all at once. I really hope it's that voice too. (laughs) You must be judged. (laughs) I would love death. Like, we need to do something where death just has like a a chipmunk voice. Like, that'd be the best. (laughs) I I have a story that I'm going to do one of these days, and my death is basically going to be embodied by Russell Brand. (laughs) That's going to be my death figure. Yes. Well, any of the final thoughts before we move into wrapping up, you guys? I did like that she didn't hold back with death. Like it's very easy with a mythical figure like that to sort of put him in the shadows and be like, that's death back there. And the part that I didn't draw, but like, <laughs> no, she just, she did it the whole way through. Oh, it's so. just this mound of writhing shadows with this gnarly sort of ornate, almost day of the dead looking skull in the middle. Yeah. Perfect. It was sick. Yeah. It was good. I hope Brilliant. she stays uh, experimental. Yeah. Also not get not getting stuck in any conventions like we were talking about. I'm but... super excited to see, yeah. you know, a couple issues from now. Yeah. It's when the be characters cool. and the world and the style and the layout has really had some time to kind of simmer. Because mm-hmm. I know that that's what happens is when you work on a comic for a long period of time, you get the same characters, same environment, same style. It's going to get tighter and tighter yep. and tighter. And Whether as interesting and different as an experimental as this is, I'm so interested to see what reveals itself as the right way to do this and yeah. what really comes out in the cream from all this experimentation that rises to the top and she's like here's the direction we're headed like i'm really excited to see where it's going mm-hmm. you know artistically specifically let alone the story which is definitely very interesting so yeah i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was really fun i look forward to seeing where it's going in terms of what's going to happen to the character and it's a weekly so you're not going to have to wait long cool oh yeah. wait, wow so you can find issue zero the prologue to Silamore. On Indie Planet, that's IndiePlanet.com, Indie spelled with a Y. Drive Through Comics, which is comics.drivethroughstuff.com, through spelled T-H-R-U. And then, of course, on Amazon Kindle, just at Amazon.com. Make sure to follow Jala on Twitter at her studio's account, at Neon Skies Studio. On Facebook.com forward slash Neon Skies Studio. Make sure to like her page. And then see her work on DeviantArt at Jala Chan deviantart.com that's j-a-l-a-c-h-a-n dot deviantart.com and again you can read the comic online for free thank you very much Jala mm-hmm. at comic.com that's c-e-s-t-l-a-m-o-r-t comic.com and then see your other projects at neonskystudios.com of course we'll have all of these links in the show notes thanks for listening to Geek Life we always love to hear from our listeners please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions comments and insights Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, please visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. And that's actually how Jala got a hold of us. She just went to the contact.pandamanga.com, filled out the form there, sent us a link, and the next thing you know, she's on the podcast. So if you guys are interested in being on the podcast, if you guys are interested in us featuring you, supporting you on Kickstarter, whatever, we are all about supporting indie art and indie comics and indie media. So that's what we're here for. So do not hesitate. If you have something that's interesting, even if you're unsure of whether or not it's something we would choose, don't worry. We're interested in checking it out. You know, if it's something that, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If it's not something that's really a good fit, I'll say that right out of the gate. You know, no no harm, no foul. But, you know, d- don't hesitate. Send us in. Send us a link. Send us some questions. You know, send us your info. We're excited to share exciting and interesting new independent comics and otherwise on the web. Music for this episode has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit AirPlusRecordings.com. Ah, Miss Pinky, we'll see you next time. You sound so excited. I'm always excited. <laughs> see you guys next time. 
He set a series of events in motion that once began would not cease. Faced with the rolling force of life itself. I'm sorry, but you need to start that over because she bumped her mic. Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? Oh, God. I, I said face with the force, so it's okay. I'm just going to do this until it's perfect. We'll be here all night. I tell you my sexy voice. Your sexy voice. Ha ha. Alright. You know, you get a cold and then you got it. Sexy voice. Wow. I gotta, next time I get sick and I'm like hacking yeah. that phlegm, I'm gonna be like, my sexy voice. You gotta <laughs> read plots to comic, <laughs> indie comic books. As soon as, as soon as you start feeling the tingle in the back of your throat, you're like, I need to find some indie comic books to read the plot out loud. <laughs> Hell yeah. I know all the secrets now. <laughs>